Hello, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I have on the line Ivan Eland, who is a senior fellow and director of the Center on Peace and Liberty at the Independent Institute. He is a graduate of Iowa State University, received an MBA in Applied Economics and a PhD in National Security Policy from George Washington University. And uh, he wrote an article which really caught my eye about the recent attacks by the Israeli forces on uh, humanitarian aid ship heading towards uh, Gaza. And uh, there's been lots of talk. At the, 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 the conflict seems to be portrayed as either very simple, i.e. Israel was simply defending itself against potentially terrorist arming uh, ships, uh, and it also seems to be portrayed as very complex, i.e. nobody can figure out who's right and who's wrong. And I thought that your article, uh, your recent article, struck a very nice balance between those two, pointing out some of the uh, legal problems in terms of international law that uh, could be ascribed to the Israeli side. So I was wondering if you could just go into the thesis about, even if we accept the Israeli version of the attack upon the ship, uh, that, that it still has significant legal problems. Yes, um, uh, of course, we see the footage of the people um, using things to attack the Israeli commandos, but it's hard to claim uh, self-defense when you're attacking a ship in international waters. Uh, the system, the way the system works is tw each country has a 12-mile limit, and that's uh, originally derived from the fact that the eye can see over a flat surface like the ocean about 12 miles. So the countries have this limit because that's what they could see uh, back in the old days, and that's what they could police. So this is the international rule. Well, this ship was, I calculated, it's about 40 miles off the coast, so they attacked it in international waters, uh, and even if they thought it was carrying arms, they should have waited until it got closer. I mean, it's not like they're going to lose this flotilla of six ships uh, uh, because they're certainly very visible. And, of course, the Israelis knew there weren't any arms on, the, on board in advance because there had been t talk uh, uh, to the Turks and uh, everything beforehand. So, And the United States was also involved in, in uh, trying to calm Israel's response down. But I think uh, is sometimes Israel wants to prove a point. Uh, and uh, also the other problem with this is that blockade is an illegal blockade of Gaza, and uh, it's also a blockade in international law as an act of war. So if your ship is being attacked on in, in international waters uh, during war, uh, then you have a right to defend yourself. Uh, that Those people didn't have to just let the Israelis board their ship. Uh, they could fight back under, under any uh, concept of self-defense. So I think uh, there's a lot of problems with the Israeli version, even if you say that the, uh, the people attacked the commandos on their way down. Right, right, right. Because they, uh, they were repelling down ropes onto the ship. So even if the people attacked them when doing that, they're essentially attacking a ship much like the Somali pirates attack ships off the coast of Somalia. Of course, the Somali pirates are doing it for economic reasons, uh, to get booty uh, and that sort of thing, uh, uh, but and the Israelis are doing it uh, ostensibly for self-defense, but of course uh, uh, that can be argued. Right. I mean, I just want to give, a, as far as I understand it, the very brief history is that because uh, there has been these rocket attacks, uh, and I believe the rockets do not have explosives in them, but there have been rocket attacks that have come out of the Gaza Strip, and as a result, about three years ago, Israel began this 
uh, blockade, which has been absolutely catastrophic, where I think upwards now of 80 to 85 percent of one and a half million people are entirely dependent upon uh, UN handouts in terms of food and, and uh, medical supplies are not going through. And it really is becoming an increasingly catastrophic situation. And I think, as you point out in your article, the um, uh, the Israelis allow just enough in so that it doesn't become a complete crisis while people are still living these desperate lives. Uh, is that is that a relatively okay view of the history? Is there anything that yes, I've... But UN, yes, but the UN has said... Uh that the conditions in Gaza, and I think the U.S. government agrees with this, uh, they're trying to get uh, Israel to pull, the, to pull the blockade because the conditions, the U.N. and other uh, relief organizations have said they're, they're deteriorating. And the problem with this is it's a blanket blockade. This is not just interdicting arms and uh, potential, potential materials to make arms. This is trying to put pressure on the, the Hamas government uh, to change its policies towards Israel. Now, when we see bombers, and they do, whether suicide bombings or regular bombings, and they do it for uh, political reasons, to get the population, they attack the population to get the population to pressure their government, we call that terrorism when small groups do it. But we don't usually uh, apply that to a blockade, but if, if Israel is attacking the population, that is to say squeezing uh, medical supplies, uh, food, etc., uh, to try to get the uh, people of Gaza to pressure Hamas to change uh, the government's behavior, uh, Hamas government's behavior, well, that's sort of a slow motion uh, style of terrorism. It's not like bombing people, uh, but it's still, if you're killing them by, slowly by, uh, or at least a portion of the population by, uh, starvation or malnutrition or lack of medicine. Uh, you can you could uh, describe this uh, as a terrorist act to, to be consistent with uh, Hamas. But of course, the terrorism is never applied to states and particularly never applied to Israel, uh, at least in the United States, um, because Israel's are uh, a close ally. But of course, we apply it to uh, Hamas and that sort of thing uh, when they shoot these rockets into Israeli. Uh, civilian areas, and that should be labeled terrorism. Hamas should be labeled uh, terrorism, but I think we have to be consistent too. Governments, uh, when they engage in collective punishment, which is this is whether it's bulldozing houses of uh, suspected terrorists or uh, putting this blockade uh, to, to not only try to interdict arms, but to squeeze the population to, uh, to get them to pressure the government. I think you have to label that as a terrorist act as well. Right, and it's very hard to believe. Uh, sorry, it's very hard to believe that governments believe that these kinds of blockades work. I mean, they certainly didn't work against Iraq in the 1990s. They didn't work against South Africa. They haven't worked against Cuba. They don't work to bring about political change. It's hard to believe that anybody can think of any empirical evidence that this works. And it seems almost like just emotional, punitive rage rather than any strategic, economic, or political approach. Well, I think they are just needlessly enraging the population there. And Israel is often acts like the United States. We go in with military force, and our military force is at least initially successful because the Israel, Israelis are like us. They bought a lot of military equipment and taken some of their doctrine from us. Uh, they're very efficient militarily, uh, at least in taking over places. But, of course, when they're occupying them, as we did, found out in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they, they find out in the occupied territories, uh, governing these places using military force uh, eventually uh, that's not going to work. And the more they uh, aggravate the population, it may work in the short term. They may have a military victory, 
but in the long term, they're they're hurting them themselves and as well, and they're not solving the problem. And I think uh, the U.S. really needs to address this uh, because we provide three billion dollars a year in aid to Israel. And Israel is a very rich country. It's almost getting embarrassing uh, to do to do that. Um, and I think that this is contributing to some of uh, Israel's behavior. If they didn't get that aid, they would probably be uh, somewhat more amenable to the Palestinian uh, uh, cause, or at least uh, settling it with the Palestinians. Right, right. I mean, I've, I've heard tell from people I've talked to in Israel that it's almost a generational thing, that the younger generation has less hostility towards the two-state solution, but the elder generation has really dug in uh, as far as uh, maintaining the status quo, which is becoming increasingly disastrous. Do you think it's a generational solution, or do you think that there may be something that could come up sooner that would bring about a better resolution? Well, I think it could be a generational difference if the Israelis don't uh, uh, make the younger generation mad, too, with uh, embargoes and blockades and that sort of thing, because that when you're strangling a population, uh, as they have been for the last three years in Gaza, you get a lot, you're going to inflame Islamic uh, militant, uh, militants in the territory, and you're going to have a bigger problem. I mean, uh, Israel created Hamas in the first place to go against the PLO uh, under Yasser Arafat, and they're paying the price for that. So actions now can have unintended consequences later, and that's one example. Another example could be this blockade. You're, you're uh, radicalizing a, new, a whole new generation, and it, it may make Yasser Arafat and the PLO, even in, the, in his early days when he was labeled a terrorist, look good if this is Islamic uh, fundamentalism uh, uh, really gets going. And it has, uh, so far in Gaza, Hamas is an Islamic fundamentalist uh, group that's ruling Gaza, and it could actually get worse if they keep doing this. So I think this is this blockade is really not in Israel's interests uh, either. And I think some of the time... Uh, the United States ought to tell its ally that, you know, maybe this isn't the best way to approach things for your own good either. Right. Now, as far as U.S. support for Israel goes, just looking at it from an amateur outsider's view, it appears to me that there are two main driving forces. One, of course, is the prevalence of the Jewish lobby, which is not inconsiderable uh, in American politics. And the other, though, seems to be uh, going out slightly on a limb that they're among the more fundamentalist Christian uh, uh, political leaders in the U.S., there seems to be uh, a feeling of the necessity for the state of Israel for biblical end times prophecies. This, is that something that you've come across at all, or is that more something that I'm just seeing? From, yes, from and the actually, it used to be that the Democratic Party was more pro-Israel than the Republican Party because uh, the, uh, a lot of the uh, Jewish votes were going to Democrats. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, but then we see in the beginning of the Reagan administration, uh, Reagan became very pro-Israel because the fundamentalists were rising in the Republican Party. And, of course, they took over the part, part Republican Party in the ni 1990s. And so they're a, big, they're a lot bigger group than the uh, Jewish community. And they, you're right, they, they support Israel for these end times prophecy reasons. And therefore, they now now the Republicans are as pro-Israel and sometimes even more pro-Israel than the than the, the Democratic Party. So I think we have both parties now uh, really wed because of domestic uh, interest groups. This is largely the Israeli-Palestinian issue is largely a domestic issue here in the United States rather than a national security issue for the United States. Although you would never hear that uh, in the, in the news media. Sorry, could you tell me just what you mean by uh, it's a domestic issue? 
Well, would they portray this as, well, we have to solve this problem uh, our for, in our foreign policy. Now you see Pedraeus and Obama alluding to the fact that some of these Islamists are attacking the U.S. Uh, because we're friends with Israel. And that's true, but they're also attacking us for our occupations of Muslim lands primarily, but they regard Israel as a colonial occupant of Arab land and the U.S. as a, a helper of Israel. So it's all the same sort of issue uh, but I also think that, uh, you know, that's, they are attacking us for that reason, but the, the, the solution is not to solve the Israeli-Palestinian problem. The, the solution is to, to uh, uh, tell other people to solve it. In fact, the U.S. has not been, has been succeeded in, in making things worse, I think, over time. Uh, the, the real breakthroughs came during the Oslo process, which the U.S. had nothing to do with, essentially. And so I think uh, U.S. is not an honest broker and is not a, perceived to be an honest broker. The Arabs have some vain hope that the United States is going to pressure Israel into some sort of a settlement. Uh, but the United States, uh, because of these domestic lobbies have so much power, uh, it's really going to, uh, the U.S. is impossible to do that. So uh, a president like Obama, I think it would be probably smarter to disengage from the Israeli-Palestinian issue rather than to attempt to solve it. And I think uh, everybody might be better off. Uh, that would put more pressure on Israel to, to do something uh, about it. And uh, it would also probably help the Arabs more than they think it would because it would uh, take away this uh, patron uh, of uh, Israel, which is get, pumping all the aid in and, and making uh, Israel more intransigent in the process. So I think you can make an argument that they're not ready, to, really ready to solve the problem yet, and the U.S. monkeying around in there is certainly not uh, helping very much. Yeah, I mean, Switzerland is uh, not against Israel, and they don't get attacked because they're also not funding it with money and weapons. So uh, they're really off the page as far as the Islamic fundamentalists go. And that's where the America would be if they didn't have yet another government program that was going to achieve its intent, the opposite of its intended effect, such as the peace process. Right. Well, it, you can, during, during the Cold War, you, I suppose you could make some remote argument that Israel was a democracy and the Soviets were supporting mostly Arab states and they were, we were, they were a counterweight. But if your goal is to get oil, uh, uh, being friendly to Israel and not only being friendly but pumping it with a lot of aid and that sort of thing is the last thing you would really want to do if you're worried about getting oil from uh, having Arab countries sell you oil because of course uh, they don't they don't like U.S. policy towards Israel. Now the last question and I, I know I'm, I'm tossing some tough questions at you and I appreciate you're you're hitting them very well but. Um, the last question I'd like to ask you is the resistance within Israel to, I think, what everybody accepts as the most reasonable short-term solution, which is a two-state solution. Is the resistance within Israel primarily because um, of, uh, re for religious or cultural reasons in terms of a feeling that the land is, is theirs historically and uh, supernaturally, I guess you could say, is, is that the main resistance or are there more pragmatic uh, considerations against the two-state solution? Well, I think there's other factors besides that. That's certainly motivating the Israeli right. Uh, they believe that uh, the, the greater Israel is biblical and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and actually, biblical scholars have even questioned the greater empire of uh, Solomon and David, which is what they're making, the biblical uh, empire, uh, questioning the, the veracity of that. Uh, but that aside, uh, there's also water. A lot of the water flows down through there. And they also... Uh, they also um, 
have uh, uh, need to defend the, the industrial heartland of Israel is right by Tel Aviv, and, and Israel is a very thin country, so they would like to have those occupied territories for security reasons as well. And, and so there's other reasons, more pragmatic reasons, why they why they are not settling. But I think Israel may eventually have to settle this simply because of the demographics, the Arab populations are growing so much that if they don't uh, settle it, uh, there'll, there'll be a majority of uh, Arabs uh, in Israel and the occupied territories. So they may eventually have to settle it. And, they, and even some on the Israeli right recognize that. But I think they may be stalling. And that's why this settlement is so important to Israel that they don't want to shut it off. Obama's been trying to get them to shut it off. And they're very reluctant to do it because they want to get as much of the good land as they can before they turn it over to Palestine, the Palestinians, and uh, they want to leave the Palestinians with the worst land. Uh, and of course, all these settlements are built around uh, key places and um, uh, key Jewish cities like Jerusalem, etc. So I think uh, eventually uh, Israel will have to solve it or they'll have to give up the Jewish state idea because there'll be more Arabs in the uh, Jewish state than, than Jews. So um, there may be a, a eventual, an eventual settlement, but I think it's going to work. Uh, the Israelis would like to stall it out as long as they can. Yeah, it is, it is a terrible and grim irony of history that the Jews who rightly complained about being ghettoized are now doing the same thing to their own surrounding populations. Uh, it is just a grim, grim example of how power can corrupt. And uh, I really do thank you for your, your article. I thought it was very helpful. And I also wanted to mention to my listeners that independent.org is a fantastic resource for, uh, I think, the highest quality free market arguments and free uh, pro, pro laissez-faire arguments. So uh, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. All the best. Bye.